You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Friends, you know that I love talking about homeschool, big families, adoption. We're going to be talking about all those things today with my guest. Angela Braniff is the founder of the popular YouTube channel, This Gathered Nest. She's an adoption advocate, homeschool mom, content creator, podcast host, and adventure seeker. Angela is married to her high school sweetheart, and they have a full house. So Kennedy is 12, Shelby's 10, that's their biological daughters. Rosie's from China, she's seven. Noah's from the Congo, he's seven. Jonah is five, adopted domestically. And then Ivy and Amelia are almost two. They were adopted as embryos. And then there's a new little one, Benjamin. And it's so fun. I love keeping up with her, figuring out what's going on with her family. But they live in North Carolina, and she's been featured in People Today, Up TV, and BuzzFeed. So welcome, Angela. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great having you, and I love talking all the big family stuff and the chaotic stuff, and my youngest right now is nine, so we're kind of getting, you know, I could actually sleep through the night (laughs) most (laughs) nights, but um, you have a lot of little ones running around right now. Yes. Yeah, we we definitely have a kind of, you know, I don't know if it's a big spread. It's really, it's not in terms of how many kids we have, but, you know, our oldest is, you know, she just turned 13. And so then we've got Benjamin, who's nine months old. And really, with the twins, we've got three under three. So this is sort of the first time that we've ever had that dynamic. Um, because of the different ages that we adopted our kids and stuff, it's really like, we're in the we're in the crazy, I feel like a little bit right now with the toddlers and baby and uh, sleep is, is hard to come by. So it's I definitely <laughs> crazy, but in a good way, you know. I love that. Well, you wrote a book recently. It was released this year, Love Without Borders, How Bold Bold Faith Opens the Door and Embracing the Unexpected. And I love that so much. I was an adoptive mom. We've adopted seven. I never like even, well, I was one of those people that grew up thinking, I want to adopt all these kids and have this huge family. But God just made it so clear, like one at a time. Like we, I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to adopt seven kids. But I would yeah. just love to hear like that stirring of adoption in your heart. And I have so many questions. So let's just start with that yeah. stirring in your heart. Yeah, you know, I um, I actually didn't know that I ever wanted to have kids. When I was a teenager, I uh, just really internalized a lot of messaging that I felt like I was hearing from the world that was saying, mm. like, well, if you want to do something important with your life, like, you can't just be a mom. Uh, you got to do something else, too, right? Like, are you going to be a lawyer? What are you going to do? Right. And so I really struggled. And my sister, who is very close in age to me, she's only 13 months um, older than me. She really just, like, knew she wanted to be a mom. She That was it. Like that was what she wanted. And I think I had this desire to distance myself from her too. So I felt like in terms of like not wanting to be the same. So I really just kind of thought, I don't know if I'll ever have kids. And then when I was about 16, I watched a documentary about adoption. And I remember at the time 
thinking, okay, if I'm going to have kids, I, I think I would want to adopt if I was going to have kids at some point, right? Um, and by the time my husband and I got married, and I had very much kind of gotten over that feeling and realized that uh, I did definitely want to have children, but it was still very much something that adoption just kind of sat out there and, you know, floating around the atmosphere of my brain, like maybe someday I'll do that. I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that it seems like a really wonderful thought and a wonderful thing. And I think a lot of people feel like, yeah, maybe someday I might do that as if it might just fall into their lap. Um, so that was kind of, and, and I guess for some people it does, but for me, it was really after having my two daughters and, um, and sort of trying to settle into what I felt like was this checklist life, right? You know, you get married, you buy a house, you have two healthy children, everything is fantastic, right? All I needed was a golden retriever and I was like set to go. <laughs> oh, and, golden doodle these days. It'd be a golden doodle. Right, it's a golden doodle <laughs> these days, right? So I felt like I'd built the, you know, I'd done the picket fence life, you know, I checked off all the boxes and I was still feeling like something in my life was missing. And it was actually a really difficult time for me to process and deal with because I felt very much like God has really blessed me with this family and these children. And, and like, what is this a problem with me? Am I not being grateful? Like, what's the issue? And uh, I really had, I guess, what I always refer to as my Easter morning meltdown, where I went to church one Easter Sunday, and I just felt like and prayed and begged the Lord to like break my heart for what breaks yours. Like show mm. me something. There has to be something more um, to this life than than the picket fence, right? It felt like this can't be what Jesus died for so that I could have just this perfect uh, life in my mind, right? Um, and so really when I, when I did that, I always jokingly tell people like, be very careful when you ask God to do something like that because when he does it, you need to brace yourself for what's coming. Um, and that's really what he did was open my eyes to a lot of things around me, a lot of hurt and pain in the world that I had been um, ignorant of in many ways and hadn't seen and, and really started to show me that he had something for me uh, if I was willing to just follow him and, you know, walk through the open doors that he put in my life that if I would just follow him, he had something for me. And that something very clearly uh, was adoption and growing our family that way and really changing my life and my entire perspective on the world through just taking that one first step um, to follow him. Absolutely. And I just think so many times, and I've say I pray that same thing. Like, and then all of a sudden, adoption started on our hearts where, well, mine first, because yeah, I have a question about that, too, because I think sometimes women are the first that are drawn to adoption. Mm -hmm. And for me, my youngest was about five. I had three that were like five, uh, you know, seven and maybe 10 and adoption started on my heart. And especially there's a lot of adoptions from China and baby girls. And mm -hmm. I talked to my husband, he was not interested <laughs> at all. And I really felt, I just felt like God pressing on me, like just pray about it and not like pester him. Cause I knew it would just not be a good thing if I'm like talking about it all the time. And like, you don't want someone to make a decision like that, just like 
feel like you're twisting their arm. And it Absolutely. took like seven years. Finally, he's like, are you still thinking about adoption? And I probably mentioned it maybe two or three times that whole seven years. And I'm like, yeah. And, um, you know, God, we never did adopt from China. And God just brought these other kids in different ways. But I, I'm curious about your husband, because you felt like, okay, you asked God, you know, break my heart with the things that break yours, which I prayed exactly the same prayer. Um, was your husband on board right away? Or did he have thoughts or concerns about that? Um, I mean, we had, when we were dating, I think I'd said to him, you know, like, well, you know, someday I, I want to adopt. And he'd said, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, that's fine by me. Like he didn't really, my husband was an only child. And oh, okay. so he didn't have any perspective of siblings or, um, and he also comes from a broken home and somewhat troubled past. And so mm -hmm. he, uh, troubled childhood, I should say. And so he, you know, he was very compassionate and very open, but when it was boots on the ground, time to do something, his fatherly, husbandly, protective instincts kicked in very quickly and it became, how can we afford this? How can, mm -hmm. is this going to be, you know, the, the, the safety, the perceived safety of wanting to, and it's born out of love, right? They just want to protect their family um, and make sure that they can feed all their kids and not go broke. And I mean, we were not wealthy, you know, we were, uh, we were, you know, not, I don't want to say barely getting by, but we could pay our bills and take care of our family, but we didn't have a ton of extra. And so the idea that we would be able to do this or afford this was scary to him too. So it did take some, some talking and some praying and some, you know, on my end of saying like, okay, here's, um, you know, here's how I think we can make this work. Here's why. And then it was like, okay, now God's got to do the work on his heart too. It didn't take him very long um, to, to come to the same page that I was on, but for pretty much all of our adoptions, except for this last one of Benjamin, but all of them previously has been God bringing a situation to, to me, to my knowledge, or um, putting something on my heart and me going to my husband and saying, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. I think we should do this. And him sort of, you know, coming to terms with it and then ultimately agreeing, um, like I said, except for this last adoption, that was him saying to me that he thought we should add one, one more one more kid, <laughs> um, which was so, it was so funny and crazy for him to be the one to suggest that we go to like eight kids. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was a lot of, one of the things that's one of the most common questions I get is about mm -hmm. the like reluctant spouse question. Yeah. And it's hard to answer. Cause I do think that the answer to it depends on what the, what the issue is that they're reluctant about, whether it's the just adoption as a whole, whether it's the idea of having a child that's not biologically yours, whether it's the financial piece, like there's a lot of different things that hold people back. And so it's hard to answer that in one, um, one comprehensive answer that, that speaks to it all. But I have always given the advice of simply because sometimes people forget how powerful it is because uh, mm -hmm. we've trivi trivialized it a bit, but but to pray for your husband, to pray for your spouse and to pray for the Lord to do the work on their heart um, that needs to be done. Because there's only so much you as the, the wife can say and do. And you're right. You can end up 
affecting relationships and causing problems. And you want your spouse to come to this and, and come to it with the same heart that you have because it's a lifelong commitment. It's challenging. There's a lot of loss and hurt and brokenness wrapped up in adoption, and you've got to be in it together because when it gets hard and when you're dealing with kids from traumatic backgrounds and true trauma, you got to be mm-hmm. in it together. You can't have oh, come to absolutely. this because you were doing it for the other spouse. Like you got to both be in it. I say the exact same thing. And we adopted a newborn first, which was easy. I mean, there wasn't, a, you know, I mean, any, any adoption is trauma and separation, but an, a newborn with no health concerns, you know, straight from the birth mom was easier than the rest were adopted mm-hmm. from foster care, which has been like the mm-hmm. first two were two and five. And the day after I'm like, what in the world did we do? <laughs> because it was yeah. so, so hard. But th- with that one, I had actually gone to, I was um, writing for Mom Life, which is part of Family Life. We went to have this little retreat and I read Kisses to Katie on the way there. And we had already adopted one. And I was kind of like, I'd mentioned foster care a couple of times to my husband and he did not seem interested. Like we, you know, we were already adopted. We just have this ba- baby. She's two at the time. And I remember getting there. I'm like, I really feel just God putting it on my heart foster care. And I had like this group of four women in my hotel room. We all prayed. And I called my husband and the very first thing out of his mouth was, have you thought about do- adopting from foster? care, which is so funny because I like, mentioned it to him before. Like, have I thought about it? Like, I've had this conversation, you know, I'm sure you're watching TV or something. I don't know. But yeah. it was that moment where it was such a confirmation. And then later, so we adopted two and then it was really hard and then it got better. But then we adopted four girls that were 11, 13, 13, and 15. And it was that moment in church. I just come back. I was in Kenya with Awana blogging for them and just saw the orphans and just bawling in church the Sunday after I got home. Like just, just the, the kids that need, you know, families and felt God just pressing on my heart, like older girls, like sibling groups, mm. older girls. And, um, and I just like wasn't bawling still when I got to the car. I'm like, I think we need to adopt older girls. And my husband's like, I got the same thing during the service. And so wow. it was like both times, the like within hours, like God just put it on both of our hearts or even minutes in that situation that was so strong because we needed that to look back on because there have been hard days that were like, oh yeah. my word. And if we hadn't had that confirmation from God, both of us, um, you know, like if it would have been just me or him or I would have been like, what did you get us into <laughs> during those hard days? Like it's not like today's a great day. Like I'm, I'm loving life and I'm happy, but there has been really hard days. And I think I love what you're saying. Like you, you have to just pray and both be on board because it's something you need both um, both parents to be 100% in on it. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, when we adopted our daughter, Rosie, I mean, we knew nothing about, really nothing about special needs and the type that with her having Down syndrome, we didn't know anything about that. Like, obviously, you know, we went to school with, um, with peers that had Down syndrome. And so it wasn't like I'd never met a person with Down syndrome, but I really just didn't know anything beyond, uh, you know, my own little bit of personal experience. And so Mm -hmm. it was, it was something that was, that was a lot scarier for him to say yes to. I had so many signs from God that I knew she was my daughter and I just could not deny it. Like you could have told me that, I don't know, she was purple or something and it wouldn't have mattered to me. Yeah. I, I, I just knew that God was telling me this was my daughter. Um, 
and he'd confirmed it in so many ways. But for my husband, it was like, okay, but what about medical bills? And what about, mm-hmm. was she going to need heart surgery? Can, what Did our insurance cover that? And he had all these questions. And it's, you know, you do have to balance. We jokingly say that like, I'm the gas pedal and he's the brakes. So you need yeah. like both of those to drive a car, right? Otherwise, I'm just going to drive us off a cliff. Um, and if he's in charge, we never go anywhere. So it's like, you need them both. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, coming to terms with a lot of things that you cannot control. And it is that faith element of just saying, I don't know the answer. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm going to step forward, you know? Exactly. And it's, it's so interesting because we were uh, supposed to adopt a um, non-special needs child from China. And I mean, they just stopped, basically China stopped adoptions. And they said, well, yeah. we have special needs kids. And we're like, I don't think we can handle that. Every one of our seven kids we adopted have had some type of special needs. So I think oh, so many yeah. times, even even when we think we like we try to control it, um, even mm-hmm. with you know, and the ones from foster care, I knew we knew some of the minor stuff, which ended up being more when we got them. But even the one we adopted from a birth mom, and it's not major stuff, but she has um, dyslexia and a little bit of processing stuff. And when the doctor told me, I'm like, really, like. <laughs> Every single one of them. So I think even though we think like, oh, well, will you do this and not this or this is too hard? Like God will help us where we need it. Like it's not, we will never be able to figure it out. Even if with our biological kids, we can never figure it out. And it really is such a faith walk. It is. And it's a journey. My, one of my biological um, daughters has sensory processing disorder. Mm -hmm. And I have struggled with that as a child. When I was a kid, they didn't really have a name for it. And so uh, I definitely had the kind that you sort of outgrow. Although I think in my mind, it's really something that you learn to cope with because I'm an adult and I can make choices for myself now. So I can choose to put myself in and out of situations that that affects that, uh, whereas kids are just kind of forced, you know, depending on circumstances. But, um, but yeah, so it's yeah. I mean, most of our most of our children have some type of special need, and only two of them did we check a box and say yes, we're will we're willing to to do this. The rest of it is. They grow, the ones that grow out of your belly, the ones that come home on an airplane, the ones that you pick up at a hospital, they grow and you learn who they are and what, how God has made them. And whether that's with some kind of special need or not, it's like, this is your child and this is the journey you're on with them. And so I totally get that. And that's always something I remind parents is that there are no guarantees. Like I would never want to encourage someone to overextend themselves, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. particularly adopting a child with a special need that they feel that they cannot, uh, cannot handle. Right. Um, I would never want to, to, to do that because it's, it's bad for the child in the end. Um, we shouldn't, you know, just come in like a savior, like, sure, give me a kid with whatever. I don't care. No, be honest with yourself. But the flip side of that coin is something that I have felt so passionate about lately is the idea that uh, something about our generation or has lost the ability to recognize the value and worth in self-sacrifice mm-hmm. and that as parents and as moms and raising children with high needs, whether that's emotional or physical needs, medical needs, uh, we've, we've kind of gotten to this place where we've gotten so wrapped up in our self-care culture that we are losing a place for people to say like, no, it's okay. Sometimes you're going to have to empty your cup. Sometimes you're going to have to, you know, bleed yourself dry for a lack of better term, um, to, 
to give to your children and to take care of your children, it's not, you are going to have to sacrifice. Uh, and that's something that I feel like often gets overlooked in an effort to constantly remind moms to, about self-care uh, is this idea that, you know, it might be hard. You might have to give up something that you like to do or uh, vacations or certain things might have to be given up because of financial reasons or because of uh, doctor's appointments or whatever the case may be. We've just seemed to have lost a little bit of the place for uh, being self-sacrificing for our kids and for our families. And that has made me sad to see because I do think there's merit and value in that just by itself. It's intrinsically valuable just as it is to be self-sacrificing in some ways. And I don't think we need to be martyrs. Uh, I always say I'm a mom, not a martyr. So that's, it doesn't make me a martyr to have eight kids. Uh, that's often something that I think, and I'm sure you as a mom of 10 yeah. kids get all the time is this idea that like, well, you must be mother Teresa or something. I'm like, I'm not some kind of special saint or trying to be any of that. I'm just a woman who loves the Lord and who is listening to what he's asking me to do. And I want to be where he wants me. I don't care what everybody else is doing or what culture is telling me I should be doing. I want to do what the Lord is asking me to do because where he has me uh, is the only thing that matters to me is that I'm walking in step with him. Absolutely. And I think so many times, like you're saying, the self-care culture and then the American dream is to be comfortable, like to have uh -huh. the comfortable uh -huh. house and the cars and enough food. And, um, you know, we like right now, our living room carpet is so thrashed. There's holes in it. It's stained. And I'm like, we're not going to replace the living room carpet till you know, for five years until these kids, because they just, there's kids in and out yeah. of the house and their friends. And, you know, I, with, with just three, with their three biological kids. I mean, our youngest was 15 when we adopted our baby. So we were almost empty nesters. And, you know, for the first, what, 20 years of our marriage, I um, had the nice house and everything was clean mm. all the time. The carpet was really nice. You know, <laughs> it was like and my office was organized. You know, it, now my office is in my bedroom because my office ended up being a bedroom for some three girls. Um, and so there's stuff piled everywhere. I'm stepping over stuff. The carpet in the living room has holes in it and stains and it's okay. Like it is yep. okay. And, and when they first started coming in, I was trying to keep the same standards and keep the house clean all the time. And everyone needs to eat perfectly healthy. <laughs> you know, just all laundry right. all cut up. Cause I was able to do that with a three. And I remember like one day I'm like crying in my room. I was like, how did you think we would add seven children and you'd be able to like keep up with everything? <laughs> I don't know in our mind, like I still want that comfort. I want to walk into the house and it looks good and it smells good. And we're all good. And it's like, I've so like now I'm like, Oh yeah, I've been dusted in like three weeks. I should do that. I've like, so, I've so gone to the other side, but I've realized cause it's like, it's okay. Like I don't need that anymore because I see how the kids have changed, how God is just transforming them. We have a great conversation during homeschool about, you know, God's word. And it's like, mm. the, the dust doesn't matter. Like the piles of laundry don't matter. Yeah. And we'll get to them when we get to them. But these hearts and these kids and what God's doing, it just means so much more than the clean kitchen floor. Oh, yeah. And that's something that I know I struggle with. And I know so many moms do is, uh, is, making sure that you're not sacrificing the kids for the, the, 
the clean house and all mm-hmm. of that because I'm somebody who uh, gets very anxious when yeah. my house is really cluttered and it affects me, uh, my, my mental health, you know, and I have a hard time functioning. And so, but I do have to figure out like where the line is, mm-hmm. right? You know, and like you said, being able to say, listen, I, we started school this morning and we got into a really interesting conversation during homeschool. And instead of pushing to end this so that we can move on and stay on schedule, just stop and let the conversation go and worry about the chores and the other stuff later. Like, I don't know. I just feel like being able to be flexible in that and know that what you're doing is valuable. The work of raising these kids and shaping hearts and minds is so much more valuable than the work of mopping and dusting. Yeah, it's <laughs> and so, so it's like, yeah, you got to be able to let that go to some degree. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's always a challenge when you're somebody who it like needs that for your own self. So it's like, you got to balance it. Right. Yep. So, yeah, it's hard. And I think the thing that helps me the most is having three adult kids that, you know, one's in his early thirties and two in their twenties that love God that like are, you know, they're mm. serving him, have love coming over, spending time together. Like our favorite thing is to all be together. We're going to be, um, we're recording this on July 3rd. So we're going to be getting together for tomorrow and everyone's going to be here except my daughter that lives in Europe. But it's like, we love the adult kids and coming together so much. And it made me realize like every time I was so frustrated over multiplication tables <laughs> or whatever <laughs> that, you know, just like everything like, I don't get to go out to coffee with my friends or all those things. Like having these relationships with these adult kids like made everything work it, worth it. And it's, so when I'm struggling now, I'm like, it's okay. It's, it's just a day. It's like just a hard day today. And this is going to be worth in the future. And it helps me a ton, like looking well, that- to them. Yeah, that, and that's so helpful for moms like me who aren't there yet and are feeling that like we don't know, we haven't seen the fruits mm-hmm. yet, right? We're just we're just in the valley, we're just doing the pruning and it's hard and we're tired and we haven't seen that and I constantly allow myself to daydream about a time when my kids are older and they are married and they're coming back to visit me and they have their kids and I allow my mind to go there of, you know, what it might be like then um, if I do, if I do my job as the best of my ability and, you know, sort of open my hands and turn their, their hearts over to the Lord and let him do what he wants with their lives. Um, That when that all comes back, it pays dividends, right? So that's so like encouraging for, for me to hear that there's hope for that future when you do feel like in the moment, you're just like, whoo, man, I'm in the weeds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and multiplication tables and teaching kids to read are my two very least oh, favorite yeah. things about yeah. homeschooling. Like if I could, if I could, um, you know, but would hire those jobs out. Like, can you just come over and teach my kid to read? And then we will, cause I'm just so impatient. Um, yeah, know, I have, I have ADD and have since I was a kid. And so it's, there's a lot that I have to overcome just to be able to homeschool my kids and sitting there doing some of those tedious tasks, like reading with new readers um, who are stumbling and You're it's, like that. It's, if the word is uh, that. Yeah. My, it's like I, my head is just going to pop off and I have to like have that creepy paste on, paste it on smile where I'm like, it's okay. You're doing a good job. When inside I'm like, ah, <laughs> It's everybody. Like it's everybody. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, we're still there. Or I'm still doing like I've been homeschooling for twenty over twenty five years. I'm like, okay. 
Can we get past this? <laughs> Can we move? Yes. Yeah. Once you, uh, once you do start to see how that stuff pays off as the kids get older and homeschooling, and I've only been homeschooling for eight years, but I'm so much more relaxed with my younger ones oh, yeah. than I was with my other two, where I felt like everything was like, wait, are you on grade level? What are you doing? Should you be doing this? Should you be doing that? Well, let's start teaching history in kindergarten. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> way more <laughs> relaxed about like, so let's, let's do reading, writing and math and we'll go from there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so, I'm a real loud person. I read out loud missionary stories and lot, great yeah. novels. And I read everyone all at the same time. And we're counting it for all of, this is everybody's history when we're reading Little House on the Prairie right now. <laughs> but we're, I mean, they all, they all do good. I mean, and it helps like all my three kids have college degrees. You know, it's like, okay, like it's still, there's, that will turn out okay. But um, the fun thing is, is realizing that, yeah, you don't have to like teach them algebra when they're in kindergarten or whatever, all the, right. all the things that we get so stressed about. And I tell homeschool moms all the time, you know, the, all those worksheets are for those teachers in the school that have uh-huh. to look at 25 pages. Like if they could tell you the answer, don't fight with them for 30 minutes to write down the answer. Like they just have them tell you the answer. Um, right. So, you know, have them spend their time writing on fun, creative, you know, a purple uh-huh. jelly monster story, or I don't know, <laughs> just have let them have fun. Don't stress about those worksheets. So that's our, that's my little totally. homeschooling tip right there too. Love that. But, yeah. But what I, I, one story that I'm like, Oh, I want to talk to her about is um, Jonah's story. And when I think it's one of your videos, you talk about his foster mom, um, which I'm like, Oh my word. Cause my kids all came from foster. Well, six of them came from foster care and just knowing that the people that were there and caring for them and loving on them when I wasn't available. So could you share a little bit just about that? Yeah. So, uh, we, you know, there's a lot of parts of our kids stories and stuff that we don't share or talk Mm -hmm. about, but I have, um, talked about Jonah's foster mom briefly before and, she is such an incredible woman. I I just honestly felt like when I met her in person, she was an angel on earth. She mm. was in her 60s. And uh, Jonah was the, I believe, the 108th baby that she had taken care of um, for these like different interim periods. Sometimes she had them for a few days and sometimes she had them for a few months. Um, and at the time that he was in her care, she had another newborn baby as well. So she had two newborn babies and she knew that we were planning to adopt him and going through the court processes and stuff. And so she would FaceTime me when she would take him to the doctor so that I could be there at his doctor's Mm. appointments. She would, I'll never forget her sending me a picture of her going into Walmart to grocery shop and she was wearing a baby sling and she had both newborn babies. She was twin baby carrying these two babies in a sling. Um, This, you know, 60 something year old woman. And I was just like, I am blown away by you and your heart and to know that like you could be sleeping through the night happily and you are up all night with two newborn babies. And she just loved these babies. And she was a very simple woman who lived a very simple life. She wasn't uh, extremely wealthy or anything like that. She lived in a very humble little home. Um, But, but she just had such a heart for these kids. And when I went to her house, because I actually went to her house to um, pick him up from her, 
And we were sitting down on the sofa chatting and she was just telling me, Angela, you know, uh, I'm actually getting ready to start school. And I was like, oh, what are you going to, you're going to school. And she said, yep, I'm going back to school to get her law degree to become a lawyer so that she could try to change the system from the inside out. She said, I've been on this outside part of the system and I've seen how broken it is. And I've seen how so many kids fall through the cracks. And I just know that with my experience, I can do something more for these kids. And so she was then at her age and after fostering all these kids, going back to school to be a lawyer. And I, I just thought like foster parents are some of the most incredible people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I know there's a lot of bad stories and there's bad apples everywhere. Adoptive parents, biological parents, foster parents, right? This human flawed sinners, they're everywhere. Um, but I have just had the privilege of meeting a handful of really wonderful foster parents um, who love these kids so unconditionally. And it's just really given me a whole new respect for that, um, that entire process. And it's, it's just, it's crazy to me um, to see how, you know, like I said before about not being willing to be self-sacrificing, so many people mm-hmm. will say, you know, how do you, I, I could never be a foster parent because I could never uh, love a child and then have to give them back. And every foster parent that's worth their weight, you know, has always said, it's not about me. It's about the child. And the sheer fact that you know that you would love them so much is exactly why you should be a foster parent, um, because it's not about you. It's it's about the kids. And I just am so blown away by uh, that that really willingness to put yourself in the line of fire, if you will. Um, and it's a very thankless, mm-hmm. a thankless job, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about, you know, like, how can you love a child and you know, pass it on to another family or just have be that middle mom for a season and looking back at, like, I know I've met people in the community that were foster parents. I'm like, oh, look, and my kids run up and give them hugs. And um, our girls, our older girls were in a children's home, which I didn't even mm. know these existed. It's like an orphanage in the United yeah. States. It's a children's yeah. home with house parents. And um, so it's almost like having these aunties and uncles all over that just loved on my kids and as hard as it is like the transition and the trauma god put such amazing people at different points in their lives that we could, i could say whether it's a school teacher or a sunday school teacher or a foster parent or a, a house parent at a children's home and my daughter um, my 15 year old just posted her grades She's, you know, her homeschool grades yesterday. And I'm looking and I tear up looking at the people commenting because there's a first grade teacher. And, you know, when she was with a different foster family that commented, three therapists that she knows that commented, one of her house parents that commented. And I'm like, these are people that still keep in touch with them and still, you know, cheer them on and, you know, you're doing a good job and um, check in on them. And I'm like, God, I'm so thankful for these godly people that even though they weren't their forever parents or even just a Sunday school teacher or, um, you know, a school teacher, um, that God put these people in their lives to pray for them and still are encouraging them today. So I love that. And I love, like, when I heard you talk about that story in that video, I'm like, oh my goodness, like that woman is so amazing. And I... I'm so thankful that you had that experience. 
Yeah, and that's like all those people that you mentioned to me, that's, you know, when people say things like it takes a village, that's to me what that means. Is it means that when we as people existing in our communities are loving and giving and and doing good and being good in the world, it bleeds out and it has these incredible positive effects on all of these people around us and the, the Sunday school teachers and all of that. Like it all matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's I love that. Oh, so good. Okay. One thing um, I wanted to talk about too is just embryo adoption because I think foster Mm. care is becoming more, uh, people are more aware of that and, you know, adopting internationally. I think there's a lot of stories, um, but I don't think you hear a lot of about embryo adoption. So I just love for you just share what you can or want to about that. Yeah. You know, I think that part, it, it, it happens actually quite a bit, but I think because it typically falls in the infertility realm is probably mm-hmm. why we don't hear about it as much in the adoption realm. And also to me, what I've learned over the years is one of the key differentiators is that you're not, you don't have the loss component, right? Mm-hmm. So like you said, even even adopting a child as a newborn, um, there is still a, a loss and a trauma that can follow that child from being separated from the woman that carried them in their womb for mm-hmm. nine months. Um, and for, for their mom, for their first mom, there's a, there's a loss there. And so with embryo adoption, um, the, the child isn't experiencing that, that loss because you are carrying them, you are giving birth to them. So while they're not biologically related to you, they're not experiencing that sort of initial first primal wound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but the process itself, I think, uh, like I said, I think a lot of people who do infertility treatments and find that those don't work uh, will end up at the place of doing an embryo adoption. Some people do it um, just because it's it's an option um, for uh, for having another child, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if they have genetic conditions or something where they can't carry children or, 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 you know, their DNA isn't compatible or whatever the case may be. Um, but it was actually a very, a pretty simple process in terms of what an adoption looks like. Um, it's not, it's not really mm-hmm. any anywhere close to the level of like paperwork and all of that uh, that you have to do. And it's not even technically by the, the government considered an adoption, um, which is interesting. It's more like if you think about when someone, a couple maybe who's struggling with infertility, if they use a sperm donor or an egg donor, it's just like using both basically. Um, so it's uh-huh. not even necessarily seen on paper as an adoption. But for us, you know, we came to that. I'd heard, I'd actually known another mom who did it, not because she couldn't get pregnant or anything. She was actually older, um, I think in her 40s, but because she knew of these embryos that weren't weren't going to be given a chance at life because they had gone through genetic testing and had been found to have certain special needs. And so the family who had those embryos did not want to destroy them. And so they wanted someone who might be interested in adopting them. So that was how I had first heard about it was a friend of mine had done an adoption that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, at the time I thought, well, that's neat, but it wasn't like even on my radar of anything we would need to do or whatever, because I didn't know that we were going to struggle with secondary infertility. Um, So when we did decide to start trying to have another biological child, um, 
and then we couldn't get pregnant. And it kind of was like, wait a second, what? Because I think my husband like glanced in my direction and I got pregnant with our first two. So I had right. no idea that it would like no basis that it would be hard for us um, to do that later. And so, yeah, it was after struggling through infertility and trying all of the treatments, because at that point, I really felt very strongly about having another biological child. And so uh, we tried all the things, the IUIs, and we even did IVF. And it was after failing at IVF um, that we realized, okay, this is obviously not the path that God has for us. I have no idea why. I don't know what he wants us to do. And that was when um, I sort of remembered about embryo adoption and decided to look into it. And so so after struggling with infertility ourselves, and again, not something that we thought was ever going to be part of our story, but it shockingly was. And mm -hmm. so um, deciding to move forward with embryo adoption was something that was a little bit scary. But I, I again, I just kind of felt like it was a Hail Mary. And we were like, if this works, great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. And that's obviously just not what God has for us. So um, I'm somebody who never really wanted multiples. I always looked at other people who had twins or triplets or whatever and thought like, that looks really cute. And I'm sure that's fun for you. But that seems really overwhelming. <laughs> that's too to me. hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think um, I just, I'd always, even with our previous adoptions, you know, when we were adopting from Congo or China, lots of people were adopting more than one child. Uh, and I just always felt like because of the way that I like to parent my babies and my children, and I'm sort of more like lean towards the attachment parenting style. Um, it's, it seemed overwhelming to me to try yeah. to do that with more than one baby or more than one child. And so it just, it was never something that I thought that I would, you know, choose for myself. Um, but with infertility and when you're doing things like this, um, it's sort of like, well, you haven't gotten pregnant. Nothing has worked. We've done IVF, put in two embryos, nothing worked. So this time when we adopted these two embryos, it was like, well, we'll just put them both in and hope that one of them sticks. Uh, so I was pleasantly surprised and also semi-terrified to find when we found out that they had both um, <laughs> stuck because I was like, oh, oh, we're in it now. Like it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. And I was like coming to terms with being pregnant again after so many years anyways. And then after years of infertility where you think it's not going to happen at all. Um, and now I'm pregnant and I'm pregnant with twins and oh my goodness. Uh, but that's where it's like, I talked about this on Instagram the other day, you know, God's plans are so much better than our own because I'd always been sort of scared of that and never really had, you know, written it down on my list of things I wanted in life. And now I look back and having twins has been such an amazing experience and I would not trade them or the, that process for anything in the world. They are, their relationship with each other, it's, it's like magical having mm -hmm. these, it can be crazy. Don't get me wrong. It can be crazy when they're hitting each other and pulling each other's hair and biting each other. That stuff gets crazy. But the, the special dynamics and two of them at the same time and the way that they play together and experience things together and their relationship. And it's just been such a, 
a joy in my life that I never knew that I needed or wanted or any of that. And it's like, God gave me something that he was like, listen, this is going to be really special for you. Just trust me. Um, and now I'm like, oh, I just am so grateful to him for that because uh, it's been one of my greatest joys as a mother is watching um, the twins relationship and my relationship with them and our whole family. They've just been incredible. Yeah, and we have twins. So um, we, when we adopt the siblings set of four, there was twins in there, and they're 17 now. And it is when you talk about magical, it's the weirdest thing that they have this conversation, and we're like, you guys never spoke a complete sentence. <laughs> like, and they're yeah. teenagers. And I'm like, she'd be like, oh, remember that? And like, yeah, okay, well, let's go do that. And I'm like, how could you know what you're saying? Or like I remember one time I was driving down. It is so weird. I was driving my big 12 passenger van and all of a sudden the twins, they're on two different parts of the car, scream at the same time. I think like a semi is going to hit us or something. And I was like in unison. I'm like, what? And there was a cute guy in the car we just passed. But I'm like, how did you both see that and scream? Like one's in the front seat, one's in the very back, same time in unison. I'm like, what? And it's just, it's the weirdest thing. So it is. It's, is so it's funny. fun. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's fun and cool and hard and chaotic and beautiful yeah. all at the same time. Okay. Yeah. I just yeah, don't more. get me wrong. All those. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say just one more question. I just want to hear about the book writing process because I love your YouTube channel and you have Instagram. So how did it go with actually putting all of it in a book? Yeah, I feel like um, I have so many questions for you about book writing, seeing as how you've written a heck of a lot more than I have. And I have no idea how you do that. But we'll get to that maybe in like a personal conversation. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the book, the book writing process, again, this is where like God just comes in and is like, I want you to do something. And I'm like, uh, listen, I really struggled in school and mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm a writer and that's not really, you know, my area of expertise and all of that. But I really felt like God was telling me, I want you to, to write down your story. I want you to share your story because it's actually my story and mm -hmm. I want you to share it with the world. And um, it was definitely intimidating for me, like I said, because I, I wasn't a writer um, and I didn't know that I could do it. I was scared. And so it was a it was a long process for me. And it was one that was full of ups and downs. And I, I always like to to share the truth of it with people, because I think sometimes it can be very glamorized, the idea of writing a book or the idea of writing a memoir. I think that the statistic is like 80% of people want to write a book. Yeah. Um, and most of them obviously don't. And so, you know, and it wasn't like this smooth, easy journey where I just said, oh, well, I have a platform and a, and a following of people on, you know, Instagram and YouTube. So I'm sure that, you know, somebody will buy a book for me. It wasn't that simple. Uh, I sent out a first sort of uh, sample chapter and the publisher that had reached out to me and said, are you interested in writing a book? We'd love to talk to you. Ended up rejecting it and saying like, yeah, no, thanks. And I was devastated. I was like, wait a minute, you came to me. Yeah, I wrote yeah. sample chapters and then they said, no, thanks. And I was like, wow, I must be a really terrible writer. Uh, and they basically said, like, we think you're going to need to hire a ghost writer and that sort of thing. So I started looking into that. But my husband was like, 
you want to write this. This is your story. Mm -hmm. Stop worrying about what you think they want you to write, what you think they want you to say, and just write your story. Um, and so I actually went and took a writing class, uh, like a, a local small writing class, um, to try to figure out if there was something that I could do to improve my writing skills. Um, and I hired a writing coach to mm -hmm help me come up with the outline and the best way to sort of put my story together. Um, and then through that, I was able to, you know, get a literary agent and write a, a proposal. And when it came time again to, to send this out into the world, I had multiple publishers come to the table and, uh, I can't remember what the terminology they use for it is, but that, you know, it's sort of like competing offers and yep, yep. it was amazing. And I could not believe it because I thought, and it was funny, the publisher who rejected me ended up back at the table and wanted to buy the book. And I thought it was so funny because I'm like, you could have had this book for free a year ago because <laughs> I didn't even know that people got like advances. I didn't know anything. Um, I was just like, okay. Uh, but now, you know, Obviously, I, I ended up going with a different publisher and um, but I that I've loved and have loved working with. And uh, it was definitely a crazy process to actually find time to write with so many kids. It was a lot of talk about this um, before that, you know, a lot of God waking me up at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. and saying, you need to write this down. And I was like, no, come on, I want to sleep. And he was like, nope, here it is. It's now or never. And I would have to get out of bed and just let it dump it all out of my brain onto the page in the middle of the night. Um, and that was some of my favorite writing in the book. And some of my favorite wait, stories that I told in the book were the ones that I wrote in the middle of the night when the Lord woke, woke me up and was like, now, do it now. Here it is. And like from my <laughs> from my head to yours, here it is. Um, so it was uh, it was definitely a crazy process of of writing in libraries and coffee shops and hiding in our camper out in the driveway and writing in the the camper and just trying to to squeeze it in where I could. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to find the time for that with so many children and homeschooling and working and all of those things. But I'm a firm believer in like what we have a strong desire for and what we know that we have confirmed that the Lord wants us to be doing that we can make, that you can make a way for, and he will help you make a way for. Um, and there's usually a greater purpose other than you. And so you just have to keep, keep pushing and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And I have written probably more between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. than any other time of the day. Yeah. Um, the same as you. It's like we have life is full and there's a lot going on. Um, but God is so good. And I always tell us when I teach writing workshops, like, don't think of the whole book. Like, think of the next mm -hmm. sentence, the next paragraph that you need to share that God puts on your heart. Don't worry about it in order. If you have, think of a story or think of something, if you're writing personal, that like, if God is stirring, just put it down, put it down on paper. It may look ugly when it's there. You can fix it later. But I think God is so good about, about um, when we are willing, just like with adoption, with anything, we're willing to take the steps yeah. of faith. He'll help us. But I love that you like, okay. I'm going to go take a writing class. I'm going to get a writing mentor. Um, I, I think that's so important. I remember going to writing conferences for five years before I got anything published. And it was like that faithfulness. Yeah. And I was home with little kids. They were running around. They were watching Barney and playing with Play-Doh. And I'm sitting on my computer, mm -hmm. like trying to get words on paper. Um, and I'm so thankful for that time, though, that training, that time, putting it in. Because now, you know, it's, it's so much easier. But you ha everyone has to begin somewhere. Um, you know, and I yes, look at your so YouTube channel. Yeah, I look at your YouTube channel. I'm like, 
I'm in awe of her YouTube channel because so many people tell me like, you need to do more. And I'm like, oh, I'm writing books. Like I can't even remember to take photos of my kids, let alone do that. But you know, we all have different skills and gifts, but all of it, you have to start somewhere at the beginning, whether it's a YouTube channel or writing a book. And you know, it's all a huge learning process, but you have to take those steps of faith. Absolutely. And there's so much work behind the scenes that people don't see. And I think with writers in particular, and even YouTube, you know, you see the end product and you don't realize everything that went on to get that person to this, to this place. Like you look at you and it's like, oh, she's written over 70 books. Wow. Holy goodness. What am I doing with my life? But it's like, oh yeah, she also went through five years of of struggling to get to that. And it's like, yeah, people don't see the the 3 a.m. writing because it's the only time a mom's brain can slow down enough to string coherent sentences together. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's sacrifice on so on many levels, there's sacrifice for the things that we really want and that we're really passionate about. And like, if it's in you, if it's really in your heart, then you won't be able to silence it. You're going to have to do the work. Yeah. And I think like, just to sum up, just everything we've been talking about, like when God puts something on your heart, it's probably going to be harder than you think it will, but it's going to be better than you ever imagined. And I think with adoption, with big families, homeschooling, you know, writing or whatever Mm -hmm. um, creative work we do, it's so much harder, but it's such a bigger joy and blessing. And we get to experience God in the middle of it. And I would just love for you to close Mm -hmm. on that because I know like we can't do any of this without God being there daily with us. Yeah, I feel like, you know, people say all these sort of joking things about, like, how do you keep it together? Oh, it's just Jesus and coffee. But (laughs) it's the truth is that, like, you know, the only reason I can do the things I do or have the motivation and drive to do the things I do is because of my relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And just taking that next step and, and following him where he's leading me and just listening to what he wants from me, there's a confidence and there's uh, a peace in that and making those decisions for yourself that like, you know what, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I don't need to follow the herd. I can break away. Um, but that he's especially as moms and busy moms in the trenches of diapers and bottles and homeschooling and potty training and all of that is like, he is with us in the mundane. It's not just these big, bold steps of faith. Uh, where we're going to another country to adopt a child or, or you know, doing something, starting a, a mission or doing something that's very uh, on the outside looks big, right? Mm-hmm, the little right. things, the daily acts, the, the cleaning up of things and just the little small things that we're doing in our home to take care of our families and our children. Um, he is with us in those moments too. Um, and I found that that's just some of the sweetest time for me is when I really am slowing down and quiet and not trying to bust through the doors and do all the things, but just really quieting my heart Mm -hmm. and listening to him and being in relationship with him because it's easy to get swept up in the stuff that looks good on the outside and that people will praise you for on the outside, right? Like, Oh, you're so busy. You've got all this and all your kids. And, but it's really the quiet moments and the, the little things that no one sees. Um, those are the times when I really feel like the closest and, and like, yeah. you know, he's really um, just right by my side and getting me through every single day, um, sometimes uh, minute to minute. 
Oh, I love that. Exactly. (laughs) I couldn't have said it any better. Awesome. Well, Angela, thank you so much for being here. And we'll, we will put all the links in the show notes, but where um, can people find you if they just want to connect with you more? Yeah, I mean, I'm This Gathered Nest pretty much everywhere on Instagram, Facebook. My website is This Gathered Nest and on YouTube. Um, So that's, uh, you can find me in all the places just by searching This Gathered Nest on any of those platforms. Awesome. And again, the book is Love Without Borders, How Bold Faith Opens the Door to Embracing the Unexpected. I love it. I love the book. I love all the photos inside. I love the YouTube channel. So you. you bring encouragement to me. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to have conversations with other people who get it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Well, it was super fun talking to Angela and I just love her stories and how God just has created her family in such an amazing and unique way. And I think so many times you might hear a podcast like this and might feel like, oh, I can never do that. Or maybe you're one of those people who think I've been wanting to adopt, but maybe my spouse isn't on board or maybe you're single and think this is not um, the best situation for a child, maybe just pray about it. And God, if it is his will for you, if it's a desire for you, um, it's amazing what will happen. And now for us, um, I was never one of the people who from an early age said that I wanted to grow up and adopt children. And as wonderful as adoption is, it was really not on my radar until I was a mom of three kids at home. And really, it was just a magazine article about orphans in China that opened my heart. And I thought, you know what, maybe we can do one more. And the way God works, we never did adopt from China. We have never adopted internationally. And that one more has turned into seven more. But I am so thankful for the kids that God brought into my life and into my heart. They truly are my kids. And even though kids come to us in different ways, just like Angela talked about, just like I've experienced, um, God really can knit hearts together. Not that it's always easy. There are so many tough things. I know um, there's friends that I've had that have had failed adoptions. And even some of our kids we've adopted have failed adoptions before us. There are hard things. It's not easy. It's not easy bringing home kids from trauma and any adoption. There is some level of trauma, but truly God can bring hearts together. So my walk it out verse for today is James 1 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so really just pray about what you can do. And maybe you aren't at the place where you can adopt, but maybe there's a family that's an adoptive family or a foster family that you could reach out to. Um, Maybe you can volunteer to work with foster kids. I am so thankful for those people that God brought in my kids' lives, even Sunday school teachers and school teachers and people that just loved on them when they weren't in my home. And I'm just so thankful that God put all those people there just to hug them and encourage them even before I knew they were going to be my kids. So let me just pray for us today. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you have a heart for orphans and a heart for widows, and you really want to make sure that they are taken care of, Lord. And I pray that today 
you will put it on each of our hearts how to do that. And maybe it is opening our home. Maybe it's not even this year or next year. Maybe it's sometime in the future. Or maybe we are to be the one that will support an adoptive or a foster family. I know, Lord, I'm so thankful for all those who have come around and supported us and who have been encouragement, a listening ear, brought meals, taking kids just out for a day so I could have a little bit of time. All those things make a huge difference. And we know that since your heart is for the orphans and the widows, your heart is also for those who care for them. And I thank you for that. I pray for Angela. I pray for her kids and her family. And that um, I just thank you that she is such a shining light to so many through her YouTube channel and social media that she can just share about adoption and that many, many people will just be encouraged by that. I pray that you'll bless her book and her ministry and her family. And I pray also for all those out there, Lord, um, who are maybe struggling in their adoptions right now. I know what it's like, and I just pray that you will be with them and encourage them and help them and guide them. I thank you for all these things in your name. Well, friend, thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. And I am so thankful that you do. I'm so thankful that I'm able to sit down and chat with these amazing people and share stories. Now, if you want to know more about our adoption journey, you can find it in the book, Walk It Out. (laughs) And I'll have the links in the show notes. Also, the links to all the stuff that Angela and I talked about will also be in the show notes. But Walk It Out really shares just so many times in my life where I read God's word and I felt this story and I knew I could either do what God's word said, um, like help start a crisis pregnancy center, open our heart to adoption, start going on mission trips. All those things were those moments where I sat there in the morning with God's word and I had a decision to make either to take steps of faith, to walk out what I felt God was calling me to do, or to try to stay in my comfort zone. And I love my comfort zone. I love peace. I love quiet. I love cleanliness, which is exactly opposite of where God led me to. But again, I am so thankful that I am walking this path with him and I'm experiencing him in ways I never would have if I hadn't just taken those steps of faith. So Walk It Out is available online bookstores, christianbook.com, amazon.com, and we'll have all the links in the show notes. And also, I would appreciate it if you just take a minute and to go and review this podcast. Just go to iTunes, leave a review, encourage others to listen. And the more reviews we have, the more others will have a chance to hear about this program. Also, share it with a friend. Just go ahead. You copy the link from the podcast page, which is just walkitoutpodcast.com and encourage someone that you love to tune in and be inspired. And friend, I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.